Hello, Brian's. And possibly not Brian's. <laughs> this is the experimental podcast where O'Brien interviews Brian's. And this episode has an additional experiment because I interview O'Brien. Wait, how is that different, you ask? It's because he's O'Brien. You know. He sounds like a regular Brian, of course, but he spells his name with a Y. Oh, shit. <laughs> That's right. In the Craigslist posting I put out, which you can learn more about in the last episode, said I was on the fence about why, Brian's. But, you know, based on the interesting ones that have responded, figure why not give him a shot? And let's forge an alliance between I, Brian's, and Y, Brian's for the betterment of Brian's everywhere. <laughs> and this episode is also a nice pairing, if you will, with the last episode about smells. Because smell and flavor are so intertwined, and this Brian's job is all about creating interesting flavors, as the beverage director of the restaurant group Quality Branded in New York City. And he's come up with inventive cocktails on menus across the city since 2005, from Michelin star Daniel to Brooklyn's Clover Club, and he's been featured in the New York Times, Time Out, Esquire Magazine, and Tasting Table. His name is Brian Schneider, and even his name has an interesting pairing with the last episode's Brian, Brian Snyder. Crazy, right? Anyway, here's that interview with Brian Schneider. <laughs> All right, Brian, thank you for coming on the show and enlightening us with your Brian knowledge. But this episode is also achieving something else since your name is spelled with a Y. This episode is forging an alliance between I, Brian's, and Y, Brian's for the betterment of Brian's everywhere. So let us raise a glass of Guinness <laughs> for these times of peace. <laughs> mm. All right. All right, cheers. So uh, let's start things off with the first part of the show, and this is before we get to the Brian-related questions, and this is where we learn about what kind of Brian you are. So why don't you first tell us your name and what you do? Um, so my name is Brian Schneider, uh, and I my official title is Bar Director for uh, Quality Branded, which is a restaurant. So what what is Bar Director? Yeah, uh, good question. So, uh, <laughs> is is this like uh, one of those jobs that only exists in Manhattan since like everything gets so specialized, or does like a normal standalone restaurants like have this, or is it only like within restaurants no, that have restaurant groups? It's and stuff yeah, like that's that. That, that's you, you're 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 hitting the nail on the head there. Uh, you know, it you can sort of look at it as like a head bartender, but for a restaurant group. Okay, uh, so most most restaurants or bars will have. A head bartender, mm -hmm. someone who sort of controls and manages uh, the creative direction of the bar and also does training with other bartenders and uh, perhaps other staff on bar-related things such as cocktails and spirits. Uh, uh, and so uh, that, that, that was my original position with the company. I, I, was one, I was a head bartender at one of our restaurants. And then I got promoted to the corporate level. So now uh, we, I, I have a, an office in uh, our corporate headquarters uh, in Midtown. Okay. I, I direct the bar for the bars of all of our restaurants. Let's put it that way. Um, my particular title, bar director, uh, they, some, some restaurant groups will have what's called like a beverage director. Mm -hmm. And we, we actually do have a beverage director as well, uh, a guy named Mark Passer. Uh, and he is sort of the more overarching director for all beverage related things okay. uh, and I'm a little more specialized with, uh, with bar and cocktail okay if that makes any sense so you're you, like so you're not quite in the trenches you're at corporate but you're like you're not overseeing all j beverages you're overseeing specifically the bars the like kind of the tr is it like the training 
and the cocktails, but not necessarily the is it beer and wine? Is right, that, exactly. Is that what you mean? We have we have separate departments for wine. Uh, okay. You know, uh, the beverage director he oversees the wine programs. That, that's not my specialty at all. I know very little about wine. Uh, but and then each restaurant has also has like a sommelier or, or a wine director. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know. So. Uh, so so basically what I'm what I'm doing most mostly is uh, creative development on cocktails. Uh, you know, all of our restaurants have a, like a specialty cocktail. So that that's that was that, that's where I have uh, the most experience in, in is creating cocktails and also um, training bartenders and creating the systems for our bar staff and our bartenders on you know what what spirits we carry, uh, how they create the bottles, uh, where do they put the bottles, where they, how they make syrups and stuff. Um, like the logistics of the it. The logistics almost. of how the bar runs. Oh, right? cool. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, are you coming up with the actual menu itself or are you more in charge of like coming up with the drinks once the menu is decided on? Um, yeah, well, so we have, well, it depends like on. The, like the cocktail menu specifically. It really depends on the location. Okay. Right? So um, in, here in particular, the restaurant that we're in, here is called Park Avenue Spring, and we change seasonally. So every season, uh, we close the restaurant for about 48 hours, and we totally renovate and redo. We change the name of the place. The awning comes down. A new awning goes up. Oh, crazy. Uh, we, we change the, re- uh, the menus, the uniforms, the decor, the floral arrangements. Everything comes down, goes back up as the next season. So, uh, uh, you know... When we change from winter to spring, you know, we we re, basically reopen new restaurant. Okay. Uh, so now we're Park Avenue Spring, and then uh, after uh, was it Memorial? so is each season then a new menu for cocktails. Yeah, exactly. Each season is a new menu for cocktails. So in this particular location, we change the entire menu, you know, once a season. Uh, and what I'll do in preparation for that is uh, I myself will come up with ideas. Um, We'll also do have like brainstorming sessions at corporate uh, uh, with uh, uh, our other directors, uh, and then also I uh, invite all the bartenders to you know submit ideas, and I'll work work on the menu ideas with them, uh, helping them to get some of their ideas as well. So it becomes very much like a process that I'm uh, that I'm you know directing. Okay, so you have this like built-in like timeline, like it's not like okay, we need a new menu just like based on like whenever corporate decides it's time it's more like no we have one built in every every season right here and here, here that is at the other how is it working yeah, and the yeah other so so here it's very very uh you know, transient mm-hmm. um at other restaurants you know we'll the menu changes much less often uh and we'll have our sort of house specialties that will stay on the menu for you know years and then we'll do a few seasonal changes, you know, when when ingredients become available or a new spirit comes on the market that we're interested in using, um, you know, we'll we'll put we'll put something new on. But that's that's a much more sort of gradual, you know, process than this than this particular. Yes. So here it almost sounds like you're. It's like almost like you're launching a new restaurant every every season. Yeah. If it were, you know, in a cocktail menu at least, and so like. And you're saying it's like collaborative with the bartenders and stuff. So like, how how much would you say of the the menu is like top down coming from like we want these types of drinks and how much or like or are you deciding versus like the bartenders have ideas versus is it kind of just with with the instance of Park Avenue, it varies from season mm-hmm. depending on you know how inspired the bartenders are. You know, 
I have to put a new menu out. No, no yeah, matter yeah. if I'm getting help, no matter who I'm getting help from. Yeah. So if it, it's gonna it, it's gonna turn to fall or summer no matter right, what. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if it comes down to it, you know, I'll I, I'll you know I'll make as many changes as I, as I need to from my own ideas. Uh, but I do like to have let other people have the opportunity. And the same goes for other restaurants. We, uh, you know, we, we have, so we're a state, we're a mostly steakhouse based mm-hmm. company. This, this, this particular restaurant is unlike the other. Is it the know, least food focused? Is that what you're saying? No, no. It's probably the, it's probably more fo- food focused, uh, in that, uh, the variety, the, the variety, uh, and it's more of like a new American style. Mm-hmm. Whereas our other restaurants are steakhouse. Uh, what are the, what are the other restaurants? Concepts. So, uh, we have quality meats. Oh yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, up on Fifty Eighth Street, we have Quality Italian, uh, which is right around the corner from there. Uh, those are both very big box steakhouse. Uh, yeah, you know, two hundred seats, midtown. You know, uh, expense account type, yeah. type places, <laughs> uh, and and great, always busy. You know, we're doing four to five hundred covers uh, at both of those places on a, on a big night, uh, and you know they. So, so that's sort of one block. Um, and then we have, we also have a quality meats down in Miami and then a quality Italian. We're going to be opening up in Denver at the, hopefully by the end of uh, July. Sorry, not end of, okay. so end it, of it's, uh, summer. Is it start, it's starting to move beyond New York? Is that what's happening with this company? Yeah, we're in expansion mode. Uh, and we recently actually rebranded uh, about at the, uh, it started 2016. We became we used before 2016. We were called Fourth Wall Restaurants, and now okay. we rebranded as Quality Branded Restaurants. If this uh, and why, so, why why was there a rebranding? Because we're we're looking to focus on the quality <laughs> meats brand. If that makes sense. Uh, okay. So before, I, yeah, it's, before I've heard of quality a, meats. We had a variety of different concepts. So we had this concept. We had Maloney and Porcelli, which is a 20 year old. Uh, steakhouse uh, on 50th Street between Madison and Park, sort of another big box mm. midtown uh, location. Uh, we also own and operate the original Smith and Walensky's. Ah, okay. Yeah, I know that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, on 49th. Uh, and then we have uh, our, our most recent venture is called Quality Eats. And that's down on uh, Greenwich Avenue. And this is this is a concept that we're looking to expand uh, in the next year. It's a, a smaller sort of neighborhood, mm-hmm. lower price point uh, steakhouse concept. So you know we're not doing the, the big giant you know 50 ounce uh, ribeye cuts. We're doing smaller, more affordable uh, steaks in the range from dollars. Okay. So uh, you're bar director then for each of these places for each of these places. Exactly. So, and with these places as being like having, you know, great menus of like steaks and meats and stuff like that. Like I've heard of some of these places, great food. Um, what is then the process for like, how do, how do you collaborate with them? The food menu or the, whoever, whoever sees the food and when you're coming up with your cocktails, um, what is the process there for like pairing then when you're coming up with your, I personally uh, don't try to pair cocktails okay. uh, with food. Uh, I, I think cocktails are more of like an aperitif or a digestif, right? Okay. They, they're they're be- for before before your food or after or after your food or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like it only makes sense to, to really it only really makes sense to pair beer and wine. Uh, so you know what what we really try to do, and which is different. From like 
these more like cocktail focused bars, you know, these kind of mixolo- mixology focused mm-hmm. bars where, you know, your your cocktail can can be very complicated and very elaborate and very uh, intense. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're not really doing those style cocktails. And I that's not really what I'm trying to bring to our to our uh, restaurants, because. Have think, you th- do think you think that's... cocktail complexity has gone too far? That, that was a question I was going to ask you later. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's a good point. I think it depends on where you're at, you know? Like, yeah. for I think in restaurants, it, it can get a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when you go to a restaurant, I think the food should be, you know, you're there to have a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think cocktail, if, if, they have a gr- if they have great cocktails, that's, you know, that's a bonus. Uh, but for me, a, a cocktail at a restaurant is really about sort of preparing the palate, you know, uh, you know, you're sitting down, you sit down with your group and everybody orders a cocktail and then, you know, and then you move on to one. Okay. I, I think if you're going to a cocktail focused bar, I, I think you can get then you, as, then you enjoy, as crazy as yeah, you, want, you Then you, you can know? kind of enjoy that. Like that's part of the reason you kind of go to a cocktail bar is like you appreciate the craft of the, the drink and the process of making it and all yeah, that stuff. Exactly. But like I, also like uh, at the same time I always – wondering about some of these drinks i'm like is this complicated on purpose or is this just like (laughs) actually uh, a reason for all these ingredients (laughs) and stuff like that right but uh so individually when you're like for you when you're making a cocktail um or coming up with a new cocktail you're you need a new drink for the next menu how much does the naming process play into it are some drinks like name led you have the name idea first like is there a lot that that's a big part of it what's fun and when you read these menus a lot of times or is it a lot of it like ingredient led or like there's got to be a given is there a yeah, given take no yeah it? for sure it's a good question both both uh mm-hmm. i personally love names and mm-hmm. i love wordplay in cocktails and there's there's a, like a deep history with that with bartenders like <laughs> sort of making these inside references to whether it's a, a quote in a movie or uh you know a band or uh, a riff on another classic cocktail, you know, and there's a lot of creativity in the naming process with cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, for me, it's 50, 50, like I might be inspired by, you know, for instance, we're doing a cocktail here, green strawberry, right. Which are essentially just unripe strawberries. And it's sort of like a hot, uh, item menu item, like early spring. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're, we're doing a few, we're doing a dish with it here. Uh, and I, the, the chef was playing around with them, and I saw them. I was like, it's awesome. I've never seen, like, a, I thought it was a white strawberry. I said, no, no, it's a green strawberry. It's basically an unripe strawberry. So, you know, I did a cocktail on that, uh, based on that. So that, you know, my my inspiration for that, my ingredient. But a lot of times I'll just think of, like, a great name. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, one, uh, uh, like a, a drink that we just did. And, and do you ever sit just sit down and think of, like, to write, like like, names, or does it just, like, is this something that's just popping into your head? Or do you actually sit down to, like, yeah, think both, of fun? Both, yeah, both. You know, it depends on how much pressure I'm under, you know? Yeah. But I'm always I'm always sort of keeping an ear open and yeah. getting I – have, I have a little notepad that I jot ideas. You know, like, for instance, you know, like, pun, like pun, I like I, I like puns. It's sort of like a, oh, yeah. a weakness of mine. So um, we we did a cocktail here last year based on a – you've heard of a, a Pisco Sour? Yeah, I love right? Pisco. Pisco, right? <laughs> so we did a cocktail with – Spelled Pisco, P A S C O, and it was a Pisco yeah, sour yeah. with uh, snap peas. <laughs> ah, spring. I like it. See, uh, like that makes makes you smile. <laughs> so, so there you go. So yeah, th- and then that that was, and 
I, I had come up with a name before. Okay, so we've talked about the naming process. Um, one more question about that is like, who actually approves the names? If you're like, if are, do you have final say on these? Because I know, like, you know, names can always go too far, right? In some in regards. No, you know, no. Who, this it's another great question. There's 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 oversight. Um, and there's because you know, believe me, this is this is like what this is what I do is like copywriting is like I. All, everything I write has to get approved. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So our, our yeah. the owner and president of our company, uh, a man named Michael Stillman, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, he has a lot of he's a, a lot very much involved in mm-hmm. the process of every element of our restaurants. Yeah. Um, and yeah, everything's has to go. All cocktails have to go in front of him, and all names have to by him at the end of the day. Okay. Um, you know. Uh, but I, so are you, are you thinking I, of I, him I, when I, you're writing your names? You're like, what would he like, or what do you get? What do you not yeah, get? This, it, what do you not get this joke? It, well, you <laughs> know, in, in a way, uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I I feel like, and I I, I hope he'd agree that uh, I, I hope uh, you're listening. <laughs> that I uh, I um, I've been able to get some 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 funny things by uh approved by him and, so you and he, prove, he you've has, proven that he's had a sense of humor he has he has a great <laughs> he has a great sense of humor and also a great ear for um for our audience uh, our audience's voice and what they would appreciate um and and together you know we've we've come up with some some really fun guys that that i don't i don't think you would necessarily expect from a a, a group like us that's like a like a steakhouse what what's the what's the name uh, not not necessarily here or in, you know in your whole career what's the name that you've been the most proud of for a, a cocktail or not uh, the most proud of but you think is the best pun <laughs> well okay so we we did a cocktail i did a cocktail that we called california chardonnay and it was it was perhaps a little too overthought uh and <laughs> And at the end of the day, I think it confused a lot of people. I think it may have worked a little bit better at one of these more cocktail-focused places. But uh, essentially what we did, what I did was uh, I created a cocktail that was meant to taste in a glass of Chardonnay. Uh, mm. So I got the idea of I was sitting in a wine tasting, right? And we were tasting a very typical uh, heavily oaked Chardonnay, mm-hmm. California Chardonnay. So Char- California Chardonnay is known for having this like kind of toasty, oaky, uh, vanilla, uh, like robust flavor, right? As mm-hmm. opposed to uh, French Chardonnay, which is a little bit more subtle, uh, not not as toasty, a little more crisp and clean, you know, g- very generally speaking, right? So I was like, uh, we, were, we were at this tasting and I was thinking, this, this would be, this sounds like a great cocktail, mm-hmm. like toasty, oaky, vanilla. And then I thought, you know, why don't we just... Why don't I just create a cocktail that is called California Chardonnay? And that turned into me basically trying to recreate what California Chardonnay tastes like using cocktail ingredients. And then we bottled, we batched it into a large batch, which we aged on oak chips. Um, and then we bottled it into Chardonnay bottles, corked them, aged them, and then poured them from the bottle into a wine glass. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, and, and what was the reception to this? This so, sounds amazing. So, again, when I first thought of it, I I was, like, so proud of myself. <laughs> I was like, this is hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. Like, And it's, like, such, like, like, like wine people will get it and, like, cocktail people will get it. were people just confused? But, but that's the thing. The general public and, like, our customers um, – I don't think that 
that they it was appreciated as much as it <laughs> as it should have been. Um, oh. But we got some pretty good press off of it. Oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's and almost like worth it for the PR alone. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a few good like pieces out of it, and uh, and it was fun. It was fun while it lasted. And actually, I just we found uh, some bottles that were almost two years old down in the store in our wine storage. I popped, and it had gone rancid, so it's not doesn't age as well as a. Uh, didn't age as well as a California uh, should. <laughs> and and you'll see that there's a lot of, not only puns, but there's a lot of play-ons, uh, other other cocktails, right? So Oh, wow. Uh, so there's jokes that, like, I don't even know because I don't know cocktails. <laughs> right. So you might, I mean, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, uh, running a blank. But, for instance, you know, there's, we I did a cocktail once called uh, Pedro's Martinez. Right? <laughs> the Martinez is a cocktail. Yeah. Uh, it predates the martini in uh, a lot of there's some evidence that it was a like the martini is a bastardization of the Martinez. Right? Uh. Uh, and the Martinez was a cocktail with gin, sweet vermouth, bitters and uh, cherry liqueur, a maraschino cherry liqueur. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the martini, some people think that the martini is a bastardization of this original cocktail. Right. So I did a cocktail called uh, Pedro's Martini, which was. Uh, rum-based cocktail with sweet vermouth and a, uh, a sherry uh, instead of uh, maraschino, right? And, and so there's, you know, you swap out ingredients and you, you change the name a little bit on like a classic cocktail. And that becomes like a referen- referential cocktail that, you know, only people that are versed in uh, yeah, cocktail culture would get. I'm going to feel like an idiot now going to many like restaurants be like i don't get this there's probably all these jokes i'm missing well that's well that's and that's the part of the conversation the you know yeah. what i'm saying that's part uh. of like this like this kind of it's almost like a folk tradition yeah. you know uh, yeah. when you think about it because there's you know there's this borrow there's this there's this culture of borrowing and updating and revitalizing and reviving and it's very much like i'm i'm big into music and i i i'm big into like folk folk music and I see a lot of similarities with this, the two cultures, like folk music and cocktail. Yeah, where everybody's just, like, yeah, people are refer- riffing off each other, referencing each other, right? that kind of stuff. And and there's no, and so far, you know, like they say that, like, you know, rock and roll killed folk or whatever. Like, like there's no there's no commodification of recipes as of yet. Uh, meaning, you know, it's very much a open source culture. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I've actually, I've thought many times... Uh, and it would probably ruin a lot of elements of it, but uh, creating some kind of ASCAP uh, for the for the cocktail world, where you know your cocktail ideas can can get bartenders will somehow to get compensated for cocktail ideas that are borrowed or referenced or used by uh, by oh, other. Oh man, that'd be tough. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to create some cocktail kind of copywriting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. So are there are there are there factors within like the cocktail world where that are anti pun that are like are there are there prudes within the cocktail world that are like uh, these puns are just making us look, <laughs> look too silly. <laughs> I, I think everybody everybody in the cocktail world has a little bit of hater in them. You know? Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of love uh, in the community. Uh, there's a lot of support and a. You know, it's a very tight knit community, um, especially okay. with the, like craft sort of craft cocktail, uh, craft cocktail world. And how does this community interact with each other? Is there some like Reddit for cocktail people? Yeah, well, on? Is- <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's well, you have you have a few different things. Um, 
Well, well, you know, we have a convention once a year uh, oh. called Tales of the Cocktail. It's in New Orleans. Nice. And uh, and once a year, actually, last year was the first time I actually went. Um, you know, this thing is going close to a decade now. And, uh, you know, it's in the middle of the July, the best place, the best time to New Orleans. Is, I'll like, be hey, I'll, the middle of July. I'm going to be in July, in like, uh, July 9th, I think. <laughs> uh, I, think it, I think this year it's the uh, 18th to the... No, 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 no. I'll just miss it. I forget. 14th? I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to just miss that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so so it's... uh, So you're down in the swampy-ass weather. You're down in the swampy-ass weather. You can swear, by the way, on this podcast. All right. Good to know. So that's like a, like a a big thing in the cocktail world. But then, you know, also there's there's a ton of like events and well, you have in New York, you have the Bartenders Guild, something called the USB, uh, a part of. So you're, you're all like, there's events to socialize and talk behind each other's backs and stuff like that. Okay. Right. So, so I was going to say there's a lot of support, but then I feel like there's also a lot of, like uh, a lot of, a lot of haters because yeah, yeah, because you because you're, I mean, you're all probably are you all competing for the yeah, same you're jobs? All com- you're all competing for the same uh, the, the or same the same space, reputation, the same and, reputation, yeah. uh, and you know we're all always sort of riffing off of each other and uh, you know you know stealing ideas and borrowing <laughs> ideas and uh, you know doing. Uh, what what's the biggest scandal in the cocktail world that you can think of? Well, recently? there's a very recent scandal in the cocktail world. Uh, with a bar called Employees Only. What, uh, and what's this? So Employees Only is... Or what's the scandal? Have you, have you heard of Employees no, Only? No, no, no. Okay. So, I drink beer. I don't... Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to ask a lot of dumb questions about cocktails. <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, I'm not too deep into it. And I, I don't I don't know... I don't know the guys at Employees Only too well. So I can't speak to them or have much of an opinion about it. But um, there are... This is a bar in uh, Greenwich Village, mm-hmm. and it's considered to be like one of the best bars. And now uh, it's uh, okay. It's, 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 it's won the, some prestigious awards. It's down on at like that. lists and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're just like notorious for being like a great bar, and they're known for their cocktails. But actually, their cocktails are not necessarily what they're most known for. It's they they make good drinks, but it's just it's a place you go to and you have a good time, with, right? And uh, and they have a very almost cultish, uh, from what I understand, staffing policy amongst the bartenders. Okay. Um, and you, you have to go through an apprenticeship um, and you have to go through like a very long sort of learning phase before you actually become a bartender. And there. is this more like of a rigorous process than like other places? Yes. Would you say? So yeah, they're yeah. known for this. like Right. And they're also known for never hiring uh, a female bartender. Which is a, is that the scandal? Which, which is a sore in the in the side of the uh, of the bartending world, um, especially a bartending world that has increasingly more female presence. And you know the females that were in the industry are have been more in like the club sort of, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, or you can think like like Coyote Ugly, yeah, right. Yeah. But now yeah. you're seeing a lot more female like cocktail bartenders, and from the beginning of the the whole cocktail revolution. Uh, my, my one of my mentors, uh, Julie Reiner, uh, who uh, is is huge in the bar world. She uh, she's been a big inspiration. But anyway, but yeah, moving back to the scandal, I want to know the scandal. scandal. <laughs> so again, I don't know too much about it, but I do know that they 
they're expanding and they're opening in uh, Singapore and Austin and a few other places. And they put out an ad uh, saying something to the effect of looking for females uh, for waitress and management positions. Um, and but they insinuating that they weren't they weren't looking for bartenders. looking for female bartenders and they they're known for not hiring never having at their flagship never having a female bartender um, and this is something that is con- they're constantly being hounded on and it ended up in one of the owners of the bar uh, and I think there was a few other things that went along again I wish I was more versed on this but uh, I just read that uh, this guy Duchamp Zarek uh, is uh, one of the owners and also a partner in a spirit company just stepped down called uh, 86 uh, Spirit Co. And they make like a vodka like that. He just stepped down from the company based on of this. Because of this. Yeah, yeah. So there was, was just backlash. They got a lot of bad PR. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And blew this up on like Reddit or something. Ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay, crazy. Scandal in the cocktail world I would never have known about. <laughs> Scandal in the cocktail world. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you have, uh, yeah, anyway. Okay, so... Is there like a rule of thumb or science to like how when you're looking at a cocktail menu to like is there wh- how much how many drink options you have like you, I mean it sounds like you don't want to have too many that overwhelms but like you want to have enough choice it's like is that basically it or is it right yeah I mean again going back uh, you know from my from from my perspective working for restaurants uh, you know you don't you you really don't want to necessarily overwhelm with the mm-hmm. beverage uh, now we'll do you know somewhere between eight and twelve. Is that like you pretty standard across the industry yeah, for like a rule yeah, of yeah. thumb? For, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course you. But then again, you have the cocktail bars. Uh, uh, one of the bars I worked for was called Clover Club in Brooklyn, Carroll Gardens, and it's sort of well known as as one of the top cocktail bars in New York. Uh, and they have and so they thirty to a, fifty okay, yeah. cocktails. You know, so it so really it, depends. On it's contextual. You could, yeah, you could have a, a huge book. You know, there's a bar. There's a bar down in Financial District, Dead Rabbit. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And they literally they have a, an entire book uh, that they that they release, and they have it like printed, and they have, they, they can buy it, uh, and it's it's got cartoons in it, and it's like a storyline, and there's like like different sections. It's it's insane. And, That's great. You know, they do. They could have up to you know eighty cocktails. Oh, man, I, and you you've worked at bars like this, you said, yeah, cocktail focused bars. Yeah, so yeah, like. Exactly. I guess this leads me into like thinking is like, what is the training process like for bartenders when you're coming up with new cocktails and like, you know, you're hiring a caliber of bartenders that already know how to learn how to know how to new, make a new drink. But like, then how do you then, then what's the process of just implementing it? Like, how do they? Yeah. This, well, this, yeah, you're right. The standard's a lot different now than it was even five years ago, as far mm-hmm. as being a bartender in New York, uh, whether it's at a bar or a restaurant, uh, you, uh, because now, and case in point, where there's actually a corporate position in a restaurant group that's almost solely focused on cocktails, uh, you know, now you can't open a new restaurant without some kind of cocktail menu, relevant cocktail uh, that's helping to drive PR, that's helping to uh, become a, like a real instrumental part of the creative mm-hmm. uh, outlook of the restaurant, right? So bar, so bartenders, yeah, now are expected to be aware of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And be aware of this cocktail culture exists, uh, and a bit a part of that's part of my job is keeping help or hoping and helping to keep our bartender up to date with the current cocktail culture and, and recipes and stuff. But you know, it's it, not everybody has the creative knack, you know. And in fact, I I feel like that that's 
my that was my strength was I quickly became interested in um, successful uh, creating drinks that people appreciated, mm-hmm. uh, and and I that that was my strength. I don't think I was the best bartender behind the bar. Yeah, and I'm sure people I've worked with can uh, attest to that. Uh, you know, I I was I was fast on service. I could bang out cocktails very quickly. But uh, as far as you know, interacting with guests and uh, being a, a lively personality behind the bar, that wasn't necessarily my strength. Uh, and, you know, you, not everybody, you know, the best bartenders are, are great at both. You know, they're, they're great with guests and making the whole bar feel like welcome and comfortable. And then they're all, they also make killer cocktails and, and, and are creative. And, you know, there's, there's only a few of them in the industry. And, but most people fall somewhere in the middle. They're either yeah. very creative, uh, they're very fast, or they're great with guests. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I, I had two of the three, I think. <laughs> well, it's better than one out of the three or yeah. two out of the three. Um, so I guess, like, then, yeah, with, with these menus, like, if a cocktail, no one's buying it. Yeah. Like, how quickly then do you change it? Like, how long do you let it happen? And, like, and just in general, like, as an industry-wide, is there, like, another rule of thumb for this? Or is it just... No, well, I, I'd say, you know, most bars are doing seasonal uh, menus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if something's just, like, no one's buying it, they're not going to just, like, you know... Right. ...really quickly uh, change well, it? Or... And it? Well, it depends on if it's serving another purpose. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, we have we have cocktails on our menu that, that don't sell very often, but if it fills a niche on the, it fills a slot on the menu as being maybe like the, the, the esoteric cocktail, right. That like, maybe like one in 50 people would appreciate, but it's there for those people. Uh, yeah. uh, or, you know, or maybe that's like the cocktail in the case of my California Chardonnay idea, you know, that got pressed. That was an interesting talking point, mm-hmm. but not necessarily, but what wasn't necessarily a successful uh, in its execution, as it, yeah. as it as it as it could have been. So, if there's like eight to ten cocktails on a menu, if two of them are serving other purposes and eight of them are doing, you know, people are buying them, it's fine. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. And and you know, you know the the I think I think the important thing is that the guest is happy with what they order. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how they get to ordering that, is, you know, there's there's a line of communication there. There's a the name of the cocktail. That's always mm-hmm. the first thing that people that people uh, look at, right? Yeah. And people aren't going to order cocktails that they don't feel comfortable saying out loud, right? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so they might love the name. They might love like what's the ingredients, but if it's something that's going to make them uncomfortable to say, well, they just point at it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll get this one. <laughs> that's true, but you won't sell a ton of it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? And and you know, and and that's that's one thing that I've sort of focused on and tried to curate myself on is. You know, creating names that are that are both like fun and witty, but also are fun are, are fun to say, right? So then you have the ingredients, right? Obviously, then you have the way the ingredients are listed, right? So what order you're listing them in? You know, do you do the spirit first? Do you do the fruit first? Do you you know how do you say what's in it, right? Yeah. And then you have to train the staff on how to sell the cocktail and how to direct the guests to pick to pick the cocktail that's going to make them happy, right? Yeah. Um, or that they're going to be satisfied with. So for me, having a cocktail that doesn't sell isn't necessarily mean it has to come off the menu. What does what what you when you do know you have to change something is if you're getting a lot of returns. And I think that's true with food too, right? That means that something yeah. was unsuccessful. So like it might not have been a bad cocktail, but 
that cocktail ended up in somebody's hand. And that, they were unhappy. That yeah. were that was and and maybe it was a fluke and they just but it but I think you can curate the menu so that that happens as least as possible. You know what I'm saying? And and I think we we, we we've we've learned to sort of do that. We we don't get too many returns on our journal, which is good. Thing. Yeah, of course. Um, so. So you're, uh, you know, the bar director for these six different restaurants and you're, uh, it, but you're in its corporate position. So like, how does your work day like typically start? Um, do you go into that corporate office? Is it most mornings? And then like, and then I guess follow up to that is in like, how often then are you going into the individual restaurants and like what drives you to go to these places? Like, what? yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the interesting thing about my job is that it's, different you know mm-hmm. depend, especially depending on which what projects we're working on are we working on a new concept are we opening up a new restaurant mm-hmm. uh, are am i preparing for a park avenue season change uh, but the I, beginning you first get into work you're getting into the corporate office yeah, not usually. necessarily sometimes i won't even go to some days i won't even go to so some days you're office. just at a restaurant all day depending yeah. on the project yeah, yeah but you know generally uh you know once every week i generally like, like to at least stop in at each restaurant at least once and, and more so what I'm doing. And then if I'm in like, you know, research and development phase, you know, I'll be at a, at a, at one of our restaurants. So who meals. do you primarily like uh, interact with like over the course of a week? Is it the other, is it the bartenders or is it like, yeah, I mean, uh, we, Mark and I, the, the other uh, beverage director, we're talking about this that. I have the sort of privilege of working with every level of our uh, company and in a way that I, we, we are trying to think nobody else, nobody else in our company really does that because I'm working with all the front of the, you know, front of the house, mm-hmm. uh, bartenders, uh, I'm working with management to help management create systems for the bartenders. Uh, I'm working with, at the corporate level with, you know, the president, uh, co- the, the other, uh, beverage director with our, uh, you know, HR department, with our uh, G, uh, CFO, with our COO. Um, so, you know, I'm working at, at that level as well. And then I'm working uh, in back of house as well with the, uh, chefs to uh, help figure out, you know, what making sure everything is being ordered properly. All of our produce and cocktail ingredients are being ordered. Uh, I'm working with our cooks to make sure our cooks help out with uh, creating like the syrups that we need and uh, making the juices and you know so it's it's I'm I'm communicating with every single level of our restaurant restaurants it's pretty cool I guess it's yeah, it's hard to say like what would be a typical day in your life as like a, a bar director it really just depends <laughs> what's going on uh, you know what what we've what we've done and what I've hoped to do is develop the right systems so things go smoothly without me having to micromanage because uh-huh. uh, it would be impossible, especially as with a growing company to, you know, have to check in it's or every few hours each restaurant. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, what's the favorite, what's your favorite part of your job? And then what's your least favorite part of your, your day to day job? Uh, I think, you know, least favorite uh, is learning how to manage time. Well. Because, you know, and this, it's not something that I'm necessarily trained on or good with because I went from working shifts you know, working yeah, from the bar, like just working bartending. in the bar where you know you you're literally in one place, mm-hmm. you know, in a, you know like a ten square foot area for the whole night, you know, doing working, banging out your shift, and uh, and then you go home. Uh, 
And so, and, and, and you know, and, and then on my off days and I would come in early to like work on a few managerial things here and there, like ordering create, creative wise. But I went from that, uh, which is, you know, sort of on the clock. And then I went to a salary position, you know, so I worked 10 years uh, hourly for tips, you know, again, in this sort of 10 foot square foot box all night to a salary position where I'm everywhere at, at, at every day, you know, and learning how to manage that time learning how to manage yourself in your like be your own boss almost be productive (laughs) right yeah i mean i have people that i report to but but it's much more of a self-initiated it's a much more and that's been a learning process for me um and 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 definitely uh a not i would say a least favorite part but you know it's 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 been it's the the biggest uh the trickiest trickiest part for you right now trickiest part for me uh you know favorite i think favorite part is going back to what i was saying is just the the ability to interact with so many types of and and see every element of the restaurant world you know, oh yeah Def- definitely doesn't sound like a boring job whatsoever yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then the creative too but that, that that that's both my favorite one of my favorite and least favorite because it be, it can be very stressful um to have to be creative on the spot and i'm sure you see that in your copywriting where oh yeah where you, you know, you need to have something out there. You have a deadline. Yeah, deadlines uh, all day. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and you know, some some days you just can't hit yeah. a button. Be very disheartening. You, you don't you don't come up with that great well, idea. Luckily, you work in places where there's lots of fuel <laughs> for that. Yeah. Speaking of which, maybe we should re up. Or do you want to have another one of these? Right. So you. So like you you come from this cocktail background um, is do you like cocktails like would you say more than like just wine beer like is that what you drink when you go out? Um, I used to, I I don't as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know I I do when I'm researching and when I'm going to check out new places and see things. Um, and I and I actually find this a lot with a lot of bartenders where a lot of bartenders will drink very simply when they're on their own. Uh, uh, you know, it's beer, wine, or straight spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because we're constantly tasting our own cocktail, the idea is that be pretty intense on the palate. So and it's got to be like a bit of a give and take. Yeah, like you you need to have balance to actually appreciate it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I if, I, if I'm at a great cocktail bar, I'll, I'll order cocktails. When I'm at home, I'm not, you know, it's very rare that I'm making cocktails. To my wife's, uh, so what are you drinking then chagrin. usually? Um, I like wine. Wine, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm not a huge knowledgeable, really knowledgeable at wine. I'm not particularly drinking great wines when I'm home. Uh, no, I know nothing about wine. My girlfriend likes wine. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just, I, I love white wine. Uh, I love, I love red wine. With, you know, I, I, I rarely drink beer actually. Really? Uh, so. As someone who like you know appreciates cocktails and that was like maybe your first love and you know getting into bartending or your spe- what you specialize in is like what would you say to someone who is a beer drinker to what would you say to someone as a beer drinker that like to give them a maybe take a second look at cocktails like you know I, I to me what's seductive about about cocktails to me is is a culture and and I think the more like kind of like what I was going back to do earlier the more you delve into it the more interesting it is. Uh, especially now with this sort of there there's just so many ideas being shared yeah and and if you it takes some effort but it 
becomes infinitely more interesting and that makes the cocktails taste different oh yeah you know the more the more you understand about the process of the way something's made the more you can appreciate i i feel you know, and I, and I think that's true for a lot of things and so like i i, I kind of wonder about like because there is like a cocktail movement but there's also this like the rise of craft beer right now so it's like i, I kind of wonder is like if there wasn't this rise of craft beer would those same people that were like getting interested into like you know beverage experimentation would they then have gone into like uh, cocktails more well know? to me it's a creative spirit you know mm-hmm. and like I, I i i think what why you're seeing this boom is because you have a lot of creative highly educated people in condensed into uh urban areas and they're not necessarily finding work in the fields that they thought that they would yeah. find work in. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they find themselves behind the bar. And this is I mean, I'm speaking about me, you know, and I'm speaking about a lot of people I know. They find themselves behind the bar and they're introduced to this vast world uh that that has a lot of history and all there's there's a lot of fascinating things about it. And I think it seduces a lot of people. Um, not only that but you get to drink while you're doing it, you know, and you get to make a lot of money. Like, um, so, you know, to me there, that, that creative spirit, um, which, you know, also shows itself in the craft beer mode or you know, any, any, of, any of the stuff that's happening. It's, it's really just about, you know, creative, smart people that, that like to nerd out about. Oh yeah. Stuff. So, <laughs> so what, what's the yeah, most overrated and underrated ingredients for you personally? It really just depends. It you know, like it's like well, for instance, I mean, here's here's something unfortunate that happened recently. So the, the, a big guy in the cocktail in the spirits world uh, mm-hmm. who created uh, he created Saint Germain. Have you heard of Saint Germain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So Saint Germain uh, is is a new product. Really? Like that. yeah. That's it. Yeah, and uh, the guy the guy who created it, who created it died uh, last week. Uh, and that that particular product is so used and. It, it was amazing, like how, it's, how, it, how quickly it took off. So it's like, right? Are you saying it's like it's like almost just like this brand is just being is just overabundant right now because of the just its brand? <laughs> well, no, not because of its brand, because it was a great product. Okay, it was an elderflower liqueur, mm-hmm. and it made everything taste great. Okay, <laughs> uh, and we sort of endearingly. Uh, refer to it as bartender ketchup, right? Because Interesting. Yeah. See, I don't know this stuff. Yeah. It's you. You like, like you put a, you put a little bit in champagne, and it's amazing. Like it's it was like it's like this amazingly well balanced cure that wasn't too sweet, had these like amazing kind of citrusy floral uh, flavor, and literally you put it, it it mixed well with every spirit. You could do a bourbon cocktail with it. You could do a you know, a vodka cocktail, a gin cocktail, a rum cocktail, like it, it was great. Uh, and it was, and, and I, you know, I, I think, is that overused? I don't know. It's, you know, it's sort of, like I said, it's, it's like, not overused because, because uh, you, you like it. You think it's amazing. I, I think it's amazing. I think, so it's not overused yet, but it's definitely But it's one of those everywhere. ingredients. It's, <laughs> you can use it, you can use it as a crutch, right? Yeah. It's like, I've, I've, I've so see like, myself, I, I've always had, I almost always have a St. Germain cocktail on a menu. Okay. Because it always sells. People always love it. And you know, one of my one of my first one of the first cocktails I ever got put on a menu had Saint Germain. And 
you know, I, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things. It's like to become a crutch to to use these in- ingredients over and over again. Uh, but you know, if it works, it works. So here's another dumb question: Is is there like a drink in the cocktail world that's like notoriously known as like one of the hardest drinks to make? Yes. And oh, is there? Yeah. Uh, the Ramos Gin Fizz is the cocktail that is the most labor intensive for one person. It, it's a cocktail from New Orleans, and it's a gin fizz. So uh, basically, what a fizz is is a cocktail with seltzer or mm-hmm. juice. So you have uh, like a gin, gin shake, probably a little sugar topped off with it, right? Uh, then you have a silver fizz, which is a uh, fizz with egg white added to it, okay? Uh, so a, gin, a silver gin fizz with gin, sugar, uh, egg, and egg white. You shake it up and top it off up so it creates this like nice froth, right? Um, then, so the Ramos gin fizz is, is, is a... Are you saying Ramos? Ramos. Ramos. R-A-M-O-S, right? Uh, and it's a classic New Orleans drink, and it has egg white, cream, lemon and lime juice, sugar, gin, and orange blossom oil, which is uh, like an the es- it's like an essence, kind of a perfumey essence of orange blossoms. Uh, actually, used a lot in, in Middle Eastern. Okay. Uh, and so you use like a couple drops of that. And traditionally in New Orleans, the place that it was invented, which I can't. Uh, you had a line of shaker boys, and they would all they would do all day is just shake this cocktail and pass it down the line. And according, uh, legend has it, according to make the cocktail properly, you'd have to shake it for like seven minutes straight or something like that, uh, which I think is relatively impossible because all the ice would probably you tried to shake it for that long. But uh, so you've never you've never tried to do this. I've never tried to shake it. <laughs> But in order to make it properly, you have to shake the fuck out of it for a really <laughs> long time. And this was this was sort of a uh, a rite of passage for me because it's traditionally it's like a brunch drink, right? Because it's like creamy and eggy yeah. and yeah. it's like smooth. It's great hangover cure. And when I worked at one of the first jobs I had in, in, that really got me into the cocktail thing was at Clover Club, which I mentioned earlier, and. I was the brunch bartender for, for a long time. That's sort of how I got my, my foot in the door. And, you know, nobody wants to work brunch shifts, so the brunch shifts. And um, I'd have these these guys in the industry come in, and they, they'd ask for this, you know, some of my, like, mentor bartenders. And, and would they just like, do it just to mess with no, you? No, no, it's because they knew they could get a proper one at this bar because uh, they knew we knew how to make it. Okay. But it was like a rite of passage for me because it was like, oh, fuck, like, I'm in the middle of like crazy brunch service, and now I have to like try to make like the best Ramos Gin Fizz that like anybody has ever had. That's hilarious. Because you, you really do what in order to get this like great frothy, creamy, like like amazing texture out of it, you got to shake the fuck out of it for at least you know minutes. Uh, uh, so you know it sets you back, gets you in the weeds real quick when you have to when you have to whip up uh, five Ramos. Gin I'm, I'm gonna keep this in mind next time I go out and like. <laughs> Just, just mess with the, the cocktail bars if I ever end up on one with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's generally like a dick move to like walk yeah. into a, uh, you know, that sort of, that would be like an inside joke where like yeah. you walk into a fucking, uh, like, a, like a crowded bar 
and uh, and and yes, the bartender. For, for, Good. And, you're, and if, see, it's, if it's your buddy, he say he like he says fuck off, and he pours you a shot of whiskey. <laughs> see, you're enlightening all the Bryans with this good point, this good dick move to do. There you go. All right. So, I mean, is there a drink then that you're also just like sick of making besides Ramos gin fizzes when you were in the trenches of being like? I guess it's probably different depending on the bar you were at too, because like yeah. you'll get a certain one. But I, I, well, yeah. you know, I mean, so you had. You know, originally, I feel like it was like the mojito, right? Like that was like that was like the drink that like every bartender made. And this is pre, this is pre like cocktail revolution. Or whatever what, you so it. when would you say is the cocktail revolution then? Like were you, were you were you at the beginning of this, seeing it the whole way through? So I, I you... was sort of I, I I consider myself like part of like the like the, the third generation of the revival, right? Okay. <laughs> so so if you want to get into the, like deep into the history of it, um, you know. Co- cocktail mixology has has a founding father uh named jerry thomas uh and he wrote the first like how to mix cocktail mix book back in mid 1800s oh shit and uh yeah so like i said it has a, has a history uh the first uh the first uh time the word cocktail appears in a in a uh publication it was in a the first time it was recorded uh was in a publication from hudson new york first first decade of the 1800s and uh and it was described as any spirit mixed with bitters sugar and water right uh and that was like a very specific thing right it was if you went up back in the early 1800s if you went up to a bartender and said let me have a whiskey cocktail they wouldn't say like they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, you know, would you do like it with this or with that? Like it wasn't an open-ended question. It was basically what you would get in an old-fashioned. It was you would get whiskey with a little sugar and bitters and stirred up with some ice. And sometimes maybe with like some, some citrus, right? So that's that's why we say old-fashioned. Now. It's, you're making a cocktail the old-fashioned way in its original intended usage. So it, our cocktail didn't become this overarching archetypal name for, to describe all mixed drinks till about 100 years later in the early 1900s. Okay. Right? So that's when cocktail sort of became, then you had like cocktail books and, you know, how to how to make cocktails. And cocktail became like, the, but before that, cocktail was like a style of drink. It was, you had cocktail slings, juleps, sours, you know, it was it was one family of drink, right? So I'm getting a little... A little out of no, hand please, here. please nerd so, out here. So you have, <laughs> so you have, uh, so then, so you know, you had this sort of fifty-year history from you know, early eighteen hundreds. Before that, you have even more history that dates back to like colonialism and the spice trade, and uh-huh. you have uh, these traders that are sailing around the world, bringing back exotic spices and fruits. And essentially making the first cocktails on their ships uh, or in their ports uh, with, you know, spirits that they would bring on. I mean, originally these ships were packed with wine and beer, uh, but that spoiled very quickly. And that's why we have uh, barrel-aged spirits now, uh, because they would, you know, they would load up these these ships with uh, hard alcohol, which originally was intended for medicinals, way too strong. And, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't distilled very well. So it was very harsh and, uh, they were only really used for medicine, uh, and dis and disinfecting and they were used as diuretics. Right. Uh, 
and infusions. They were used to infuse like herbs and spices for their medicinal property. Uh, but people didn't start really drinking recreationally, uh, spirits recreationally until the colonialism. You had, they, they noticed that uh, you know, aging spirits in barrels for longer period, wooden barrels would soften the spirit and make it taste more appetizing. And then you add, you know, lemon juice and citrus juice from the Orient and from India and spices. And then you had your first punches, right? So this all, this is, this is all happening. Uh, and then it all kind of coalesced in urban areas of the United States where a, a metropolitan city like New York, your bar, if you go anywhere in Europe, right? You're, you go to a restaurant or a bar, they're only really going to have the local stuff, right? Like like going back, right? Because people drink what's what's around them. You know, in France, you would have cognac and wine. In, in, uh, in England, you would have gin. In Ireland, you would have whiskey. In Scotland, you would have whiskey. Uh, but in the major metropolitan cities like New York, where the bars and ho- mostly it all started in the hotel bars, the hotel bars had to be stocked with everything because you got people from everywhere coming in oh, right interesting so you had to have a whiskey you had to have a gin you had to have because you have you know a, a global population coming through and that's really where people started to get creative and that's where the, these guys like jerry thomas came from they came from these metropolitan hotel bars in new york and san francisco where where the bars stocked you know all different kinds of spirits and liqueurs and they really started to play around right and so Jerry Thomas again is the founder. So which hotel was he at? Uh, I forget. He well, he owned a few of his own bars, and uh, he worked at a few famous bars. I, I can't remember. I haven't read his book. Uh, but and, but what year his... about? Like what decades? So this is about? the 1850s. That was 1850s. Yeah, yeah. I think I think his first the first publishing of his book was in the 1850s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he he was this larger than life character that was in san francisco and he took like a ship around the, <laughs> the world and then like ended up in new york and bounced around new york and was like a compulsive gambler and <laughs> lived like like wore like a bunch of crazy jewelry and just this like kind of larger than life like founding father of of uh mixology and so everybody everything sort of is, goes back to his book and then you had a lot of cap copycats you and you had other people producing their own or publishing their own, you know, how-to uh, mixology books, and and, uh, and you know, it just exploded. And you think, uh, from what I understand, you think cocktail culture is big, you know, now in New York, it was even bigger you know, then, and uh, it was this huge. Everybody, everybody was drinking cocktails. Really. And uh, and and then prohibition killed it. Uh, it was it was built and built and built, and built until prohibition. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't realize cocktails were that big back then. In the, in the metropolitan in New in cities like New York, it was a hot thing, you know. Uh, and you had this this huge creative community of bartenders again stealing from each other and referencing each other. And you know, you see the same cocktails in in, in each of their books, but like tweaked a little bit. And like this is my variation on this one. And this is all <laughs> happening before before prohibition, you know, before before the nineteen twenties. And uh, and then Prohibition killed it, and everything had to go underground. And a lot of bartenders in Europe and opened like American bars in, in Paris and <laughs> in England. And now you know we're sort of slowly getting back there um, because you know you had if you think about it, Prohibition ended in thirty something. I forget. I always forget. Uh, eh, about there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> somewhere around. There. And you know around the same time as. The Industrial Revolution is has its foot in the door, and you have everything is mass produced 
So before that, you had everything fresh, right? The only way you can get lemon juice is by making it fresh, right? Nobody was, you didn't have like, you know, bottles and, and, and manufactured lemon juice. Like it was fresh. Uh, and if you, if you had, if you needed an ingredient, it had to be fresh. Then now you, have, you get in the 40s, 50s, 60s where, you know, everything is mass produced. You got these super saccharine and, and sugar laden juices, corn, high fructose corn syrup. And, you know, all this nasty stuff is getting pumped into these cocktails and that the whole culture is lost. Uh, and, uh, and now and only now. So so then you have the 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 second founding father of mixology is a guy named Dale DeGroff. And he he is one of these guys who went back to that original book, Jerry Thomas, and he created a bar. It was actually at the Rainbow Room at the top of the Radio City Rockefeller Center. Where, where is that where it is? I forget. Anyway, so this is in the 80s. And I think so. Yeah, yeah. And he does he does a Jerry Thomas Thomas themed bar where he recreates all of these like old cocktails which nobody really had done it and does all fresh juices all uh, you know does all these like classic cocktail preparations that nobody had done for you know close to 100 years or over 100 years uh, so and he's and every everything now sort of comes from a lineage from him um, so so you have him and then you have what I would call the second the second generation, which is people who trained me, Lee uh, Reiner. Uh, you have Sasha Petrovsky, who died uh, this year. Was in, uh, he created a place called Milk and Honey, a very famous cocktail bar, sort of speakeasy style cocktail bar. You have uh, Toby Chikin, who was another. You have Audrey Saunders, who owned Pegu Club. Um, anyway, six or seven different different people from that generation, and then everybody else comes from after that. You know, and that and that's just like from those like seven or eight or nine teachers or mentors, you have everybody else's. When did the this latest wave of cocktail culture start to swing up again, become more prominent? Yeah, again? Well, yeah, like I said, yeah, Dale DeGroff uh, and and those like sort of early re- revisionists uh, in the eighties, and then nineties. Uh, so that was the eighties, okay? Eighties, yeah, late late eighties, early nineties. And then, you know, you have like the sort of sex in the city, like Cosmo, you know, Mojito thing happening. Uh, and then, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, places like Honey, Angel Share, uh, Pegu Club, they all opened uh, Flatiron Lounge. They all opened in New York in the same like five years. And those those were sort of first launch in most, in most places. Wow. Uh, so that's like... You know, we're talking really the seeds. Okay, that that was an amazing history lesson. I, I wasn't expecting, but it was, uh, it was fascinating. No, that <laughs> 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 was awesome. <laughs> uh, so, and you mentioned uh, mixology in there, and is that term is that like a, a term that people that are like bartenders or cocktail makers like to be called, or is it a term that's like a mixologist? Well, you know, is it's, that because some depends. I, it depends. So I, you know, like. Like I, I think like... some of the earlier people are not afraid of the t- mm-hmm. um, some of the you know some of the older generation, um, but I, I you have a lot of younger bartenders who have rejected mm-hmm. uh, because there's it comes with connotations of taking of bartenders that take themselves too seriously. I think yeah, it goes back to like the cocktail culture com- complexity going too far. is yes. kind of a thought, you know? and and also the aesthetic of it, which yeah. is another thing. This sort of mustache like twirling, kind of pretentiousness, pretentious. Yeah, and and so you had you had a rejection 
of the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word has a, a, a long history, uh, going back to the 1800s. And it was, from what I understand, a derogative term back then as well. Oh, really? For this, <laughs> no these idea. like newfangled <laughs> bartenders, you know, history repeats itself. It was these newfangled bartenders, mustache, uh, bearded and mustached bartenders that were slinging, uh, you know, juleps uh, behind the bar with all kinds of fruits and concoctions, you know, thrown into them. So, you know, it's it's the same thing nowadays. But so now, you know, you have this rejection of the term um, and, you know, you have these bartenders who claim that mixologists, that they're barmen or, or bartenders. Um, you know, I, I think there is a derogatory connotation. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't, I don't have, I don't see anything wrong with it. I think it, I don't think every bartender is a mixologist. I know mixologist is a bartender. Uh, I think a mixologist is somebody whose focus and interest is creating. Things. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I think just culture has latched onto that as like right. Turn that into something now, else. Now, <laughs> now you don't. What I would say is you don't want a mixologist to be your bartender. <laughs> yeah. Right. To the bartender that's in front of you, but that's not to say that. You want but, a mixologist, you want a mixologist making the cocktails, yeah. you know, creating the recipes creating the recipe. that the bartenders are making. So I think that's the happy compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at best, the best bartenders are mixologists. They're not the clock and they're bartenders. So second to last question about your job, and that's uh, um, from my girlfriend, this question. Uh, <laughs> she wants me to ask, if she likes floral-infused gin cocktails, what would you recommend? For a floral infused gin cocktail, I don't even know what that means. A floral, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm assuming that she wants. She's talking about a gin that has nice floral notes. Uh, Probably, <laughs> because a lot of gins are infused with flowers. Uh, you have Hendrix gin, which is infused with great cock. The great gin uh, made in Brooklyn, Dorothy Parker. Okay. Uh, great, great gin. Cats are distilling. Uh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I took a, I took a few of my bartender nice. a few weeks. Anyway, so he has a, a great Dorothy floral. Parker. He has okay. a great floral gin. I think it has hibiscus in it, if I'm, I'm not uh, mistaken. Uh, anyway, he he makes he makes a great gin. But uh, you know, again, like I think like a really simple, elegant floral cocktail is gin would be like a riff on like a French seventy-five, a cocktail with sugar, uh, champagne, mm-hmm. and. What I would do is cocktail is get a nice floral gin, parfait, a little simple syrup that and top it off with some nice. All right, well, she'll she'll definitely be trying that out. <laughs> All right, so the last question about your job is then is like there's Brian's listening right now or whoever's listening. Uh, how does one how does someone become a bar director? It's it's like is it a natural transition from just being a very experienced bartender within like major markets? Yeah. Um, I, so I was lucky enough to be mentored by some of the leading people in the industry. And I was also lucky enough to find myself behind great bars with great bartenders at the early stages of this, uh, bartending explosion, right? Uh, this, this mixology. So I, you know, there's, there's, there's a plethora of great bartenders. There's not a plethora of bar director positions. Okay. Uh, uh, and I feel like me getting getting to this has a lot to do with a lot more. Uh, no, it's a lot of it was initiative on my part um, and a willingness to learn, but also you know timing. But yes, I mean 
what I would do, ask questions, don't be stubborn, uh, uh, learn everything you can from, from every facet of, uh, of the, the job. Uh, meaning, you know, learn, learn what the managers are doing, learn, yeah. how, learn how to create a schedule, uh, you know, learn how to inventory, uh, you know, volunteer to, to, uh, help, help your, uh, your manager's uh, liquor inventory. So you see, you see the larger picture, you know, how, how things function, because it was that experience getting that experience that really helped me to give perspective my job and, and be able to take it to, uh, you know, when you see, when you see how the business, how the business of a restaurant is run and where your place is in it, then you really see what your value is um, and, and the willingness to that's probably true. Okay. So, so now you're, let's say you're, you're, you know, you're, you're done for the day. You're done being a bar director. And like, since this is like, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you're working all kinds of hours. Like what, what when do you typically head home? Like, uh, uh, so is it bar closed? Like, are you always, are you no, basically always no, I on? Let, one of the perks <laughs> of working in a corporate world is, uh, not having to close. Uh, so I, I usually, uh, uh what I'll do is I'll have two or three later evenings a, a week, mm-hmm. uh, where I'll stay through service and kind of observe and make sure things, um, uh, and pop around to, to our different restaurants. Uh, but you know, half the week, the time corporate, you know, yeah. five, six o'clock. Uh, and so I, are you getting in at the same, like around the same time too, to work like, uh, like, yeah, I mean, you know, it depends 9, 10, if, I'm, if I'm doing a late, if I'm doing it, if I know I'm going to be doing a later night, you know, I won't come in until 11 or 12 or, eight or nine. And, uh, if I know I'm going to make it a short day, I'll, you know, I, I have two kids. I have uh, a 10 year old and a six, uh, sorry, an eight year old and a six year old. So I try to, I try to make, and what's your commute like then? Well, I live in Stuyvesant town. Uh, oh, Stuyvesant town. Nice. So. Yeah. Pretty easy commute. So it's easy. It's super great. easy. So you, so you wake up in the morning. Or you, do you make like a coffee cocktail, or you you skip coffee? Yeah, I'm, I'm I go I go straight to booze. In the morning. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't. I don't. I, I try. I don't. I don't drink too much. I I am tasting things throughout the day, and uh, especially when I'm doing. No, but are, are you are you, you transitioned completely into a, like an office stiff where like you just drink coffee every morning? Like, I, that's what I do. I drink coffee every day, all day long. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I did that before too. Uh, but no, my hours are much more normal. Okay. Um, and so what kind of things are you like in, into outside of work then? Like in your free time? I mean, being a father has got to take up most of your time and a, wife, and a husband. And... Yeah, yeah. Father. Uh, and then I guess the other the other big thing in my life is music. Uh, I, I perform. Oh, you mentioned the, the folk. Uh, are you yeah. are you in a folk band or are you just a folk uh, fan? Yeah, well, no. I'm, I, I, I perform in a sort of a, a pro, uh, I have a, a project. I don't know what this means, but it's, it's, I, it's less a band and more, um, a project, a music project I perform, uh, the moniker shy and I have a writing partner. We write songs together and then we have, uh, about four or five other musicians that kind of come in depending on. So, like I said, it's not, it's not really a band because I can perform solo. We can perform just me and this other guy who plays upright bassy bass. Oh, nice, um, nice. Yeah, and so the, the, between the two of us, we're called Crooner and Duke. Okay, so uh, and like, what is uh, what's your background? Then are you uh, originally from New York? Um, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I went to high school in New Jersey, the East Coast, mm-hmm. when I was 
East Coast ever since. So do you do you like living in New York then? You've been here forever, like not forever, but for most of your adult life. Then. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you like it here? Yeah, I like it, man. It's a grind. It's yeah. a grind. I'm having I'm having fantasies. Oh really? Of getting out, but uh, but we'll see. I that we we'd like to open a bar. I'd like to open a bar with this comp with the company that I work for. We're we're actively looking for a space uh, outside of New York. Though. No, in New York. Oh, in New York. Yeah. Oh, in New York. Okay. Uh, so you know that. That would really keep my foot planted in New York, but I'm definitely having fantasies of uh, moving uh, not necessarily to the suburbs, but uh, Woodstock's on me right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Hudson Valley sounds right. good, where I could still commute, but uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know, man. The folk music, yeah. <laughs> okay, so now now it's time for the uh, actual yeah, the fun part, the Brian questions. Uh, no, 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 that that was that was fun. Like I've, uh, I've, I've learned a, I've learned a shit ton. <laughs> All right, so why why did your parents uh, name you Brian? My I was named not after my my grandmother on my father's side, but her her first name started with my father. I want to honor her. Uh, so just the, the first letter, the, right? Oh wow. Uh, and and I that's that's the story that I was told that that there was a B right. I don't know if there was anything more than that, you know other than I know with in the case with my wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so wait, what are your kids' names? Then? I, I want to collect like Finnegan a, is my son. Finnegan, okay. And Lulu is my daughter. Lulu, oh yeah. nice. But you yeah you were named maybe based on the letter B basically it just had to, that was the only criteria. Yeah. And but you don't know why they spelt it with a Y necessarily versus an I. I don't know, man. <laughs> um, it it didn't have anything to do with our my mom's side of the family is Irish Protestant. Oh, okay? Uh, okay. So so this is what this question I was gonna ask you: like, you had any Irish ancestry? Yeah, yeah. So my mom's side of the family is Irish Protestant, going way back. Um, you know, they they they've been in their her family's been in the country since like the seventeen you know, sort of far removed from the roots of Ireland, but you know, do have that heritage. And my dad's side of the family is uh European Jewish. Okay. <laughs> um and my mom her maiden name is Byrne. B R Y That might have something to do with it though. Uh, <laughs> or is it she might have spelled it B U R or I forget. That might be why the Y's in there, or maybe they just liked it better that way. So, a two-part question then: Dead or alive? If you could meet one other Brian, um, who would it be? And then also, who is your favorite Brian? And okay, that's, that's yeah, right. That's okay. So, um, Brian, there's Brian Wilson, which is like that, the, that was who, my answer. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think he's a very interesting character he'd probably be a fun guy to sit down for a beer with i don't know how much more than a beer i would want to sit down with him for um yeah he seems he seems a little out there brian you know obviously you know would be an interesting character um and what he's done with music and his produce producing uh i'm not well versed in his own music but i you know he's he's worked with uh, a lot of other musicians that yeah, I he's, that he's I really made like. some big shit. <laughs> he's made some big shit. Um, so you know maybe those two. Well, uh, just keep in mind, uh, Brian Wilson. He will be performing Pet Sounds this summer in New York in McCarran Park. Ah, really? Like the full thing? Yeah, he's doing the full thing. Oh, you should you should do a. We should all have a reunion of all the Brians and go see Brian Wilson. I'm I'm I've already got my tickets. Ah, but my, my goal is maybe I'm going to try to like jump them afterwards and, uh, and make them go on the show. 
All right, quick, quick Brian trivia question. Yeah. This one was especially for this was more or less. Do you think is more or less than three hundred thousand Brians who spell their name with a Y in the United States? I just got. <laughs> no I just got to do some math. Here. There's three hundred million people in the U.S. I think, right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, so this is probably cheating. No, no. I, I actually I like this. Yeah. All right. So three hundred thousand. People don't know. Uh, Brian is taking out a calculator right now. And <laughs> <laughs> it's solving it as a scientific okay, so, way. So that's point, <laughs> that's point zero zero one percent of the population. Uh, so you're asking me if more or less, less than point zero zero one percent of the population. So what I, I would probably say that point zero zero one percent are named Brian with I. I can't see more than 300,000, so I would say it's got to be like Brian with an I is. Oh, sorry, man. There's more. There's oh. 306,462 <laughs> Brian's with an Y in the United States. Oh, man. Here I am thinking that I'm uh, – because I think that I've only really met one or two others. <laughs> yeah, I think I've only met one in my life. But I didn't even know him. He was like a coworker in a different department. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it is a rarity. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something like one and a half million Brian's with an I, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was gonna be a. Yeah, but yeah, uh, there you go. Um, I'd be curious to find out from, if you ever uh, come across other Y's. Did you find? Did you get any Y's? Oh yeah, your... yeah. Uh, I've, I've got like two other Y Brian's that are that have replied that. You know, we'll see. We'll see whether or not they'll be on the show or not. <laughs> so cool, dude! So cool. Uh, um, if you had to choose a first name other than Brian, what would it be? This is a, like this is like the hardest question ever. Yes. Uh, but I want to know if I'll ever meet someone who's be like, oh, I've been fantasizing about being this other name my whole life. <laughs> I will, you know. No, I I haven't. Maybe like Jimmy. Sure. <laughs> Jimmy I mean, Schneider, but, yeah. But like so. Brian is really a boring name. It's like, right? It's like it's for me. I think it's anonymous. It's, it's like anonymous. it's so just like a blank, like just a blank slate, kind of like a yeah, Brian. <laughs> right, and there's no, there's no real significant. I mean, yeah, there's some like Irish, but but there's no real significant like cultural association with it in my like. You no, know, you when know you think of like when you think of like a Johnny, you know, or like like. Like uh, like a Sal, yeah, you know, or like like these have like sort of stereotypical like entrenched like yeah. like you know st- uh, cultural significance. Ryan, yeah, it's like sort of sort of a blank slate. And I my I have like a theory is that like I can't tell. I, sometimes I feel like there's something inherently funny about the name Brian, but I don't know. I don't know what. Yeah, well, and it it's it works great with the nickname. Uh, you know, you got because there's so many things that rhyme with it. Yeah, you know, flying Brian, crying yeah. Brian, <laughs> dying Brian, lying Brian, um, and like Bry is like you. So we so a funny thing like a good friend of mine is named Ryan. And Ryan. Yeah, Ryan with yeah. a Y, R-Y-A-N. And we endearingly refer to each other as E plus and uh, and So this is something I was wondering about for Brian's spelling name for Y is like, do people annoyingly ever call, and I just learned this nickname, was people call you B Ryan. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think you know, the most in, the most endearing uh, sort of nickname for me is Bry. All like the, the closest like Bry people. guy. <laughs> yeah, Bry guy. 
Uh, Bry guy is great. Yeah, but I think like my closest friends say Bry. They go, hey Bry. Um, I, I mean, have you ever faced discrimination from other Brians based on the spelling of your name? I mean, you know, I feel <laughs> like, and this this goes back to what we were saying in the emails. Like, I definitely feel like there is a disconnect between the Y's and the I's, and I I think I don't necessarily think there's a discrimination but i feel a skepticism coming from oh yeah the eyes uh, and i've definitely gotten i've definitely maybe. gotten brines with eyes replying to like the show and being like you know i'm kind of glad you're wary about wary about the why brian a little bit hesitant about those guys i'm like <laughs> yeah you know i think the why i think obviously the why the, the why's are the minority yeah group right? it's funny he's like they're the minority within this like very small group of people or like this like Ye- very niche group of people yes <laughs> yeah so so the wise so the wise are the minority and i think and i think that yeah i mean obviously not to the seriousness and extent that true minorities feel of course. Uh, ostracized uh in in especially in this country uh, but i think that there's a little bit of that uh that that uh, that skept there's like a skepticism there's a uh, interesting yeah yeah there's a, there's a this is there's a stereotype and for me the I is obviously the majority and therefore more it's I feel like it is more essentially Brian in that it's more of that kind of like blank slate when you the say y, a the Brian y, the Y <laughs> colors it you know uh, yeah. And, so, and so when you see or when you meet another like i guess you've only met one like one other brian with a y do you then feel like a special kinship or is it more like wait no i'm unique get away from me <laughs> yeah there i do feel like okay uh i i, I and i would because he like, understands the struggle against the eye brian yeah and you know what else there is there's the and it, it doesn't bother me at least uh, and i never correct anybody but uh, try having your name spelled wrong 99% of the time. Ah, that's true. That people write, write. They emails. default to it, yeah. They default to it. And uh, and and this is even with, like, coworkers and friends. Uh, yeah, I never really thought about that. Because I, what I thought was that, you know, I meet a Y, Brian, but he won't understand the pain of his name being misspelled brain. Because we get that all the time, like in oh, mail no. right, and letters, right. like it, it's all the time. It's just your name is misspelled brain. Uh, Even yeah. if you Google like Brian or something and like they'll auto correct it to be like, you mean brain, right? <laughs> well, all, yeah, I mean, and I'll get that too, right? Obviously, because well, like, Cause we, lot, yeah, because you, you get you get my the misspelled mom, of your name. that's not your name. My mom. Yeah, <laughs> right. My mom's uh, fuck texted me the other day, Brian with an I. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, 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 because and and then she blamed it on autocorrect. Uh, okay. Well, I mean, for this show, we're we're, we're forming an alliance, <laughs> and I'm curious to see, you know, how many eyebrows are gonna be like so hardcore in their stance of only eyebrows. <laughs> I would love. I'm looking forward to hearing the answers to these questions. Yeah. Um, yeah. In your, in your it's, it's already been very interesting. Um. So yeah, so I have to ask then, like, so when you first heard about the show, like, what was your initial reaction and, like, what made you reply? Like, was it a sense of duty then to the other Brians or was it the promise of 
beer, but I can't imagine that when you work in a place surrounded by beer. No, so <laughs> so for me, uh, to give the honest answer, uh, you know, my my wife's been my wife's been looking for uh, she's been doing jobs, so she's been kind of cruising the internet for uh, um, for openings, and she came across your listing, and she she forwarded it to me, you know, just like <laughs> you hit that button like on Craigslist, like you know, forward to, so it just didn't even say anything, but. Yeah, you know, she always forwards me like funny stuff throughout. You know, you oh, know. there's all sorts of weird shit on Craigslist. There's, there's weird shit on Craigslist, and I I saw it, and I was just I don't know. I was immediately intrigued, and I I don't know. You know, I've never I can't say I've ever done anything like this. Um, responded to a like a rant posting, but it sounded interesting, and and I and I'm, I think I was genuinely curious to find out what other Brian's in the world are up to and how that, that how that can potentially how a name can potentially define somebody. Um, I think that is the vague mission of the show. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it. Uh, so so and, and I think what really drew me in was you mentioning a why. Uh, <laughs> saying that you're still on the fence on to consider why Brian's uh, but Well you are, you are boldly breaking down barriers <laughs> and uh, I think all the all the why Brian's and I Brian's will salute you for this. <laughs> Sounds great man, this is fun. Alright, thanks. <laughs>